Hi, Filmatics. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. We have a very special show for you today. We have one of my favorite actor, writer, directors, Adam Lazar White. Adam is an actor, writer, director, and audiobook narrator. And you've probably known him because he writes for NCIS New Orleans. And he's also on a fabulous new hit comedy from Netflix called The Upshaws. Starring across Mike Epps and Wanda Sykes. Hi, Adam. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, Adam. Um, Adam Lazar. Uh, can I ask you where are you recording with me live today from? I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm originally from New York, but I've been in Los Angeles for many, many years doing my work here in Hollywood. Uh, and um, yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm here in Los Angeles. Oh, great. Yes. And so, Adam, I want to ask you, um, when growing up in New York, did you have a favorite childhood film? A favorite childhood film? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. My father was a movie buff. And so he, he kind of introduced me to maybe slightly more adult movies when I was young. Um, but, like, he... I have a very early memory of him showing me The Godfather. And um, of course, then becoming a actor, writer, director, The Godfather became, you know, my favorite film, <laughs> or certainly one of them. Oh. Maybe Godfather 2 more than go. But um, I think also, like, I, I loved, I was a musician, and I loved singing in the rain. And, um, you know, I, I think that if you're talking about like really as a child, um, I, I think that the movie that probably had the biggest impression on me, I was a very little boy when it came out, I was probably six years old, was Rocky. And my dad took me to Rocky and I was, an, I was a jock. I played football, baseball, basketball through high school and then I was recruited in college. So like there was something about that inspirational story that was very... Um, important to me as a kid rocky oh man rocky i actually worked for arwen winkler in beverly hills one of the producers so yeah i remember rocky like you like rocky you were just yeah the underdog against all odds who made it that's a really beautiful story and also i want to ask you so because uh, i know you went to harvard so um and you were um grow before you became an actor did was there a film in the criterion collection that probably inspired your career path or just really touched you when, when, from watching it? Well, yeah, like I said, my, my, you know, my father, from the time I was very little, little, my dad, you know, he was a lawyer and he grew up on, in the segregated South and he didn't really, he was very poor when he was growing up and he didn't have the kind of advantages that me and my brother had. So like becoming an artist sometimes, sometimes comes out of very difficult upbringing, but a lot of times it comes out of being encouraged and having the freedom and the privilege to have guitar lessons and you know things like that we had and he didn't have those but he became a film fan and so he used to always talk to me about Fellini and he would talk to me you know about Kurosawa and as a writer um certainly Rashomon by Kurosawa is you know as one of the great master films of all time had a very big effect on me and when Pulp Fiction came out in the 90s, 
which was a non-linear storytelling movie and and also Tarantino's first film, um, Reservoir Dogs, the, the ode back to Rashomon structure had a very powerful effect on me and how I write and what I'm interested in. But, you know, I mean, so do you know the movie Amacord? Yes, yeah. It's also, uh, yeah. I'm Italian. I that's, also, that's another one. Um, you know, that's Fellini film. Um, and I would say maybe those two, Rashomon and Amacord. Yeah, and uh, what, why, what, because, you know, I'm Italian, so of course I'm going to love Fellini. And, and just the composer, the music alone, like, you just, you, as soon as you hear the music, you know it's a Fellini film. But what, what about Amacord that you like? Um, um, can you just share a little bit more on that? Um, I think that the, the way it was about Fellini's childhood in that town, and the, the thing about the small, town, slice of life, weird oddities of life. Um, I, I think that the great filmmakers have a stamp like that, whether it's, you know, if you're not talking about those filmmakers, if you're talking about anybody from, I mentioned Tarantino, but also like Scorsese or Coppola um, or, um, you know, Woody Allen, I know he's a little bit persona non grata these days, but, but the oddity of his movies and his stamp on movies, and I think that that in Amacord, the, the kind of small, odd, small town, odd world, like just this being brought into this little world, um, I think that's what maybe rings so true for me yeah. like they always say in art like the more specific you are the more universal it is the more truthful and specific you are to your own life the more universal the message sometimes becomes and uh, i think that fellini was the master at that you know it was very specific to his life and his point of view but they were universal stories I felt the same way about Cinema Paradiso, which is not Fellini, but um, I think that's Torrentino. I think uh, is the name of the director of that film. I did a spoof. It, it, I did a spoof um, and honoring that. I should know the name. I'll Google it while you talk. I'm gonna Google it so that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Cinema Paradiso is one of my favorite films too. Um, uh, Adam, I'm going to uh, have to tell you that my mom in Italy and all of our family in Italy from the small town outside of Naples, you and your wife are going to get an invite to go down and see their small town. So just to let you know, you have, <laughs> you have an open invitation. Are you prepared for all the pasta and delicious food that you can ever see? Um, yes, I'm, I'm prepared. I'm ready. Yeah. As soon as you said that small town, you know, uh, my mom uh, is listening to Italy with all her, you know, all her people. So it was produced by Franco uh, Cristaldi, and um, I'm trying to find the director of that. I mean, you think I could see the director on that. But yeah, it's one of my favorite, too. I even did a little spoof that was Top 50 Director on Project Greenlight. Um, let me just see. I can't find the director yet. I think his name is Tora Tora Torre. Tora Torre, yeah. I, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but it's a great film. Yeah. Okay. So perfect. So uh, 
I'm looking at it as like so. Uh, Tornatore, Giuseppe Tornatore. Giuseppe, yes, yes, Giuseppe Tornatore. Yeah, you say it actually better than me. You probably speak Italian um, more than I do. <laughs> so yeah, so speaking no. of, um, so so we we're talking about some fantastic films, like really incredible films, and I want to know, like uh, we also talked about um, Quentin Tarantino. Is there uh, a director or two that you like um, from one of your favorite films? Oh God! I mean, there's so many directors that I love. I mean, uh, I, 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 do you mean? Yeah, I mean, Scorsese and Coppola and Tarantino. Um, if you're talking about like more like American directors of American films, um, you know, it depends. The thing about directing, of course, right, is it's like it's like reading a book, right? If you want to read a book on the beach that's like a great thriller mystery that's a different like thing to read than reading a i don't know really kind of heady stream of consciousness novel right like if you're reading virginia wolf that doesn't mean that you can't like you know old man at the sea you know <laughs> um so okay like I'm putting you on it depends point. on what i'm going for but i mean <laughs> i i think that i think that there's something incredible about the way Coppola's told stories when especially in his young career the 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 truthful quality of his scenes and the the real life element of it and then um you know Scorsese as well um with kind of the New York sensibility from Mean Streets to Goodfellas um but in the, in terms of the younger directors, the directors that like they're not young, but that younger than those guys that have really kind of become famous while I've been a professional. I think Tarantino and Chris Nolan, like that's why I was saying. So Adam's sharing and, with us. You know, it's just an, a genius. You know, and Inception is a genius film, and Batman Begins is a genius film. If you're going to watch any superhero film, like watch Batman Begins, it's not a superhero film. It's not like it's it's a different thing. It's a character study, and it's dark, and it's psychological, and it's and and I'm not even talking about um, you know his film with the Joker in it. You know what I mean with Heath Ledger. It's, it's another it's a whole other thing um you know so yeah and it's uh, i love directors <laughs> you know, yeah, and i'm too. a director myself you know yeah. I mean? so I can't wait they've all they've all had an effect on me yeah and can you share with us like one of your favorite directing scenes like a, a director shot that you love that you love from a movie um sure um i mean you know there's a few classics that probably everybody mentions that come to mind they call it the Copa shot in Goodfellas, which is a shot where Scorsese starts with um, Ray Liotta and um, uh, uh, what's her name, uh, who played Karen uh, from Sopranos um, on the street. And they walk into the Copacabana through a door, they go through the kitchen. They, they go through the back room. They don't have to pay to go in. They're like special VIPs and they go through the back 
of the, and it's all one shot. And then they, they come into the Copacabana and guy puts a table right up in up front. I think like Don Rickles or somebody's on stage. And Talia they, Shire, they throw that one, Talia Shire. No, it's not Talia Shire. It's, um, uh, uh, it's, um, I'm sorry, it's I terrible. know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, um, oh, what's her name? Um, I know it's that. <laughs> uh, Lorraine Bracco. Okay, yes. Lorraine Bracco plays Karen, plays Ray Liotta's wife. She's a Jewish woman married to an Italian mobster in Goodfellas and in, in, in that movie. And I, she's, she's actually uh, Italian, obviously, but she plays a Jewish girl in the movie and uh, they go to the Copa and it's just all one shot. I mean, that's one thing. There's another shot in The Godfather where it's the moment where Michael Al Pacino becomes the Godfather, where he kind of takes over for his father. And his father's in the hospital. Uh, Vito is in the hospital and they're sitting in in his office, in Vito's office, the, the, the brothers, um, Sonny which is James Kahn, the adopted brother, who's the consigliere, Tom Hagen, which is Robert Duvall, and Clemenza and Tessio, the, the, the senior advisors in the family. And there's been So Adam's talking about the godfather. And they want to kill him. They want to kill him. And so Pacino's sitting in a chair and it's like a kind of like a big easy chair and his legs are crossed and his arms are on the arms of the chair and he's ha he's had his jaw broken by um by the police captain when he was standing outside protecting his father at the hospital so he's talking like this because his jaw has been wired shut and they 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 are trying to figure out how to kill the assassin how to kill the assassin and kill the corrupt police captain and as he does the monologue about how he's going to do it, he says it ends with him saying, I'll kill them both. Coppola has, it's all one shot on a dolly. And Coppola kind of comes around the room and pushes in on Patino sitting in a throne. And it's like the shot itself turns him into the king. He goes from the prince to the king in that shot. And he says in the monologue, he lays out the plan and everybody realizes how smart he is in that moment. Like all his older brother and all the advisors, you know, and he says, you know, uh, if somebody can plant a gun in the restaurant, if we can find out through intelligence where the meeting place is going to be and plant a gun, I'll go. They want to meet with me. I'll go to the bathroom and maybe they can you can plant the gun in the bathroom and I'll kill them both. And Tom Hagen, Duval says, you know, or Tessio says, nobody shot a cop in 50 years in New York. And Pacino says, this is a dirty cop. This is a corrupt cop. You know, we should be able to kill him. People understand that. They want to kill, you know, it's like all of his intelligence, but it's all happening in this one shot. Yeah. That's, that's one of them for me. Oh, I love that. I love that. So speaking of, so Adam, you, you're um, an actor, writer, director, producer. So I want to um, ask our audience, like, so you grew up in New York. And could you tell us how you started your career path? Can you share with us that journey? Oh, wait, uh, uh, wait, um, one, one second. Uh, 
what we, um, Adam, we will get his, um, Can you hear me? yeah, we, we yeah, 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 no worries. So technical moment. Yeah, we're going to learn um, about how Adam Lazar White started his career path to being this amazing actor, writer, director, producer. Can't wait to, to find out. I was, um, I was a musician and an athlete growing up. I, uh, I played guitar and I played in a jazz band and I was in school, you know, and I played football, baseball, basketball. But I was always in love with movies and the theater. I grew up in New York. I think when you grew up in New York, it's something that is closer to you than like if you grew up in a small town in the middle of the country. The theater is, there's so much there. My parents took us. So I was always in love with that. And then um, when I went to college, I took my first acting class. And uh, I had a couple of buddies who wanted to become actors. And they were like, you should do it. You should take this class with us. It was really just like a summer. And I took the class and it was like I got, as the, as the cliche goes, I got bit by the bug and I, I just loved the kind of all the different elements that you got to use of yourself as an actor. Like you got to be a poet and a dancer and a, and a, and a storyteller, like all of it came together, you know, um, and because you were physical and you were dealing with words and then you were dealing with emotion. And I was this athlete who's, who also loved to perform like, the great thing about sports and acting, it's kind of the same thing. Like when they see an action and the curtain goes up and you're going up play, it's not that different from like when the whistle blows at the beginning of a game. Yeah. There's no going back. There's no take some time. Wait a minute, I'm not ready. When they say play ball, it's like, that's it. Yeah, and, and for, for our audience, I just want them to share share with them real quick. Um, Adam went to Harvard University, graduated with honors in the government and uh, in government and political philosophy. You were a quarterback for the Harvard Crimson, Crimson, and yeah. played guitar yeah. and saxophone in the Harvard Jazz Band. And in summer, you wrote script coverage for Columbia Pictures. And so I just wanted them kind of know a little bit that like where you went to school when you're talking about that. So. Uh, so that's yeah, fantastic. I was recruited out of high school to play at some bigger schools like Wisconsin and, Mich and Michigan. But um, when you get into Harvard, like I went, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So and I didn't. Uh, I was recruited to play baseball also, but I, I um, picked to. I chose to play football, and I was a quarterback. And so, like at that time in my life, I was studying acting in the summers. I started taking some classes at ART, which was the um, the graduate acting program at Harvard kind of renowned program like when i had room for electives i would take classes there and then when i came out of school um even though i had majored in government and thought like oh you know i could be a lawyer or something like that. my father was a lawyer and in politics um or i shouldn't say politics he's in government um and uh but I was in love with acting by that point. And I was young for my grade. So when I graduated college, I I wasn't even 21 yet. I was 20. I turned 21 that September. So I was young. And I just started studying acting at Terry Schreiber Studios, which is a very, Terry Schreiber was and is a very famous acting teacher in New York. Um, actually, my contemporary was um, Ed Norton. We were in the same... We were in the studio at the same time. Um, we came out of college the same year. And uh, I guess, you know, I did showcases and I did theater and I got my first agent in New York. Um, and then, but pretty quickly after two years, I, I was kind of 
it was kind of cute, you know, and my agent was like, you should go to L.A. There's a lot more happening in uh, L.A. at that time. It's not like it is now. And as soon as I got to L.A., I, I started working. I, I started working on like all of the black sitcoms that were coming out in the 90s that had never, there really had only been one black sitcom like on television at any given time in previous eras, like maybe two, like good times and then, uh, you know, in Sanford and Son. And then in the 80s, it was the Cosby show and, you know, uh, 227 or something like that. And then all of a sudden in the 90s, there were like 10. You know, there was Hang as Mr. Cooper and Living Single and In the House, and they, they, they just kind of opened up that area of the business. And so I played the boyfriend on every single one. Oh, and then I would. <laughs> there was also like um, the same thing happened in soap opera. There were no black actors in soap opera through the 80s, really. None. Like maybe one out of like six or seven soaps, one character that was black. Um, and then all of a sudden in the in the 90s, Young and the Restless really took the lead and they created a huge black storyline with Christoph St. John and Tanya Lee Williams and Victoria Rowell, myself, Shamar Moore, and then a couple of supporting people that played parents and their little kids. And uh, I became kind of a, a soap star on Young and the Restless. Um, and that's really how my career began. Let me just tell you, my Italian mother they told you about that's inviting you to Italy with your wife, she watches you. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's probably still going. Those, those 90s episodes are probably airing now in Italy. <laughs> They're watching them in Italy, let me tell you. That that in like uh, action, action guys, Jason Stratham, she's like, <laughs> so I just want to let you know you have a big fan for my mom. <laughs> so you... So you did your you did Young and Restless, and I and um you you seem to hit it right at the right time that you were the boyfriend for all those actors, didn't you? Like it's it's kind of like you know you were meant to be this actor because uh you know like like you said that there was no African American shows, and then they started having more and more, and like sometimes you don't realize that when you're an actor, there's got to be an opening for you. Like like with me when I was acting, I couldn't. Every time I auditioned, I would go against a famous family member, a famous person. So it was just so hard. But uh, I'm so happy that you got in because you're fantastic. So you did Young and the Restless, and then um, so then then after Young and the Restless, you went into some uh, TV and television, film and television. Yeah, I mean, once I, I I left the show, I started working more in primetime television and and in films. Um, I did a play every year. Um, I did Romeo and Juliet, I did Trojan Women, I did, um, uh, I did some new plays, I was in the Circle Rep West, Circle Rep was a very well-known company that started in the 70s in New York, and then it kind of splintered into like the East Coast group and West Coast group, which was run by John Bishop, and he was a playwright, uh, he and Lanford Wilson, who's a great playwright, were kind of the main playwrights for that group. We were very lucky because I was young and all of these actors that I admired tremendously, um, many of whom you, you all have seen in, in many movies as well as on, on stage. Um, I was just looking up to them and uh, my girlfriend at the time, who then became my wife, she had been a lead in one of John Bishop's plays, so she brought me to the group. Um, but um, yeah, I started working and um, 
you know, I was, I was uh, one of my high points of my career. I was on a movie called Ocean's 13. I was in my 30s, and I was playing basically they would call the body man for Al Pacino. And I got to work with Al Pacino for six weeks, and, and not to mention George Clooney and the rest of that incredible cast and Elliot Gould. And that was like a great thrill. Um, and I was doing like the lead. That was like a smaller part. And then I had like leads in smaller movies. Um, independent films. Um, and I was also just starting to work a lot in, in primetime television. Another kind of social commentary on the business uh, in the early 2000s. And we are going to get Adam White back. We have a little Wi-Fi. Um, Adam was telling about social commentary, you know, he um, about how hard it is when you are an actor, but especially if you are a diverse actor. So Adam, do we have you back? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Did you, I, I was talking all that time. I guess you lost me. <laughs> yeah, the social commentary um, the, with the little Wi-Fi went out. Could you, um, we just lost you when you said the social commentary. Um. So I'm not sure where um, I dropped out, but what I was saying is that uh, I started, uh, you know, when I left Young and the Restless, I, I started working more in primetime television and film. I worked on Ocean's 13. Did you hear me when I was talking about? Yes, and you got to work with Al Pacino because you know what? Yeah. Your childhood film or your <laughs> the Godfather right. manifested. The manifested. The <laughs> um, and then uh, what happened was that I um, started working a lot in the 2000s um, for a woman named Shonda Rhimes, uh, I, who wow. was black woman showrunner, really. Um, and she really changed the game in a lot of ways because she created dramas that were multicultural, not where there was a single kind of what people used to call a token black character where you had like Eric LaSalle on ER um, or you had, um, you know, uh, uh, Dulé Hill on the West Wing, but where, but where you had worlds that she created that were, the first one, Grey's Anatomy, where the lead was a white woman, but her best friend was Asian, and her the other doctor was a gay Latina, and the Asian girl's boyfriend was Isaiah Washington, who was black, and the head of surgery was black, and the attending surgeon was black, and and so on. You know, there was like this, this multicultural world, and then she did the same thing with private practice. And then her next two shows, she flipped the lead, and she had a black female lead in Scandal, and in How to Get Away with Murder. But again, the world was multicultural. And so I did uh, what would be called guest spots or recurring guest spots on her shows. And, and that was a big part of my work in the in the last 20 years in primetime television, as well as recurring on a show called Heroes. I played a character named Ian, who had a special power um, on that show. And then, you know, I played like the bad guy of the week on Lethal Weapon or the good <laughs> doctor or on, you know, Criminal Minds, um, all the while doing a lot of indie film uh, and theater as well. Oh, yeah. And so it leads us up to like, um, I want everyone to know, like, um, we, we have five minutes, so we might go to part two, but I want to get to like, um, when you start writing and directing, right, Adam? So I want everyone to know about your fabulous uh, writing that you do. Your first script, Other Sides of the River, it was a coming age interracial love story set at Harvard. That was your very first one. And uh, yeah, that was more of a, um, a developmental moment. Like that was, that's, 
that I wrote that it was my first screenplay, but the screenplays that I've written more recently in the last 10 years that are, are more like garnering attention or that serve me as either writing samples or that I'm hoping to get made. I wrote a biopic about Joe Lewis. Um, I, I wrote uh, a kind of a Sidney Lumet inspired crime and political intrigue uh, script called The City about New York City and two cops and a corrupt mayor. Um, and I also wrote like a love story in LA of kind of a mogul grew up in South Central and like a rich Latina woman who's like her uncle is like the bishop in East LA and her father is like kind of like a fictional Via Garosa, like the Latino mayor of LA. Um, well, Adam, I'm and- gonna, um, I'm, I'm going to end a part two, part one because I want to get to all your writings and your directing. So I want to give it a, a more time. So we're going to end a part two, part one here with Adam Lazar White. So please join us back to learn about Adam's writing, spectacular writing, his TV shows, and uh, his directing. So end of part one, Adam Lazar back. Uh, Filmatics, join us for part two. Thank you for everyone for listening. And then um, we'll, we'll be back on with you with part two with Adam Lazar White, his writing and directing.